You know, you cannot be too Jewish. Thank you. I couldn't possibly agree more. Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Kohan and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. Our guest this morning is Julie Benko, Broadway star of the musical Harmony. We'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at 2JewishRadio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on 2Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. 2Jewish is paid for by 2Jewish radio programs and podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and 2Jewish. Shalom. There was a news story that got my attention last week, although with all the news about Israel and all the anti-Semitism news these days, even a Jewish news junkie like me could have missed it. Anyway, a while back, we reported here on 2Jewish that the campus of American Jewish University, the flagship conservative movement property on the whole west coast of the U.S., formerly known as the University of Judaism, had been sold to a Swiss real estate developer. A number of the donors were upset about that, of course. Apparently, however, that deal fell through, and then last week it was reported that the magnificent property in Bel Air was now being sold to its next-door neighbor, the Stephen S. Wise Synagogue and the Milken School campus there. Now, why should we care about that, and what does it demonstrate about the direction of American Judaism as we approach the end of the first quarter of the 21st century? A little American Jewish history can provide context without going too deeply into the weeds. While the first major American Jewish movement was Reform Judaism, and it had something of a monopoly on organized Jewish life in many parts of the U.S. in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, in the middle of the 20th century, after World War II, both the conservative and reform movements in Judaism grew very rapidly. Generally speaking, in most parts of the U.S., particularly in major urban American areas, the conservative movement's congregations were large and vital. Its flagship institution, the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York, was perhaps the most impressive Jewish institute of higher learning in America, both in academic accomplishment and scholarship and, frankly, in scholarly productivity. Up until 1980 or so, there were more Jews in America calling themselves conservative and who belonged to conservative congregations than there were Jews who called themselves reform or belonged to reform congregations. There were fewer still who identified as Orthodox and much smaller numbers yet who called themselves Reconstructionist or were unaffiliated. It was more or less at that point that the University of Judaism in Los Angeles long located in a decrepit old building in Hollywood. In the interests of full disclosure, I used to attend Hebrew High in that decrepit old building. Anyway, around then, they moved out to a sparkling new campus in Bel Air, a very fancy part of Los Angeles, and began ordaining rabbis there not too long thereafter. The conservative movement, arguably, in the 1980s, could be called the most important movement in American Judaism. But even at the height of its influence, there were structural problems within conservative Judaism. 
the most problematic was its inward-looking focus. Conservative Judaism's tendency to work to deepen the connection of those already affiliated with its congregations and its essential disinterest in looking beyond its own sanctuaries, day schools, and summer camps to the much larger pool of American Jews who weren't already attending or affiliated with conservative synagogues. Unsurprisingly, as younger generations of American Jews moved away from the attitude that synagogue membership was an automatic choice, this lack of interest in reaching out to unaffiliated families, of which there were more and more, did not bring new people into the pews. That is, conservative congregations didn't do much to try to attract new people, and, well, the old people got older and, of course, passed from the scene. One more problem, and a big one. For some of the most interested conservative young people, the focus on ritual and observance and inward-looking scholarship brought them to a desire for more intense Jewish experiences, and they took their Jewish observance farther than a typical conservative Jewish experience could provide. They became Baalei and Baalot Tshuva, that is, they became Orthodox and started living an Orthodox lifestyle. So, some of the best and brightest conservative Jews became Orthodox and left the movement in the kind of rightward direction, if you will. And the American Jewish world was changing rapidly. Where it had mostly been made up largely of immigrants from Europe or the children of those immigrants who tended to marry only Jewish spouses, by the 1970s and 80s, let alone the 90s, 2000s, the 10s, and the 20s, well... The Jewish world was now composed of people born in the U.S. for several generations often and who no longer insisted or even tended to marry fellow Jews. As the intermarriage rate rose from the low teens steadily upwards, the conservative movement maintained its steadfast rejection of intermarried couples and families, including their children. As late as the 1980s, many conservative rabbis were still fond of sermons denigrating intermarriage as the end of Judaism. This, too, did not create a welcoming environment for a steadily increasing percentage of American Jews. Which meant that from the 1980s until today, about 40 years or so, the conservative movement has been in a steady decline towards irrelevance. Every year, there are fewer Jews affiliated with conservative synagogues. Every year, there are fewer congregations affiliated with the official organs of the conservative movement. As synagogue membership in conservative synagogues has dwindled, so too have the positions for conservative rabbis, cantors, and educators. It is a slippery slope, now in its fourth decade of steady diminishment. Meanwhile, the older donors were solicited to support conservative movement institutions still. Among them, the dynamic campus on the West Coast in L.A. in Bel Air, eventually renamed American Jewish University. Soon it had many beautiful buildings, an excellent facility, including a concert hall and mikvah, great landscaping, a fabulous library, and both graduate programs and a new undergraduate university. You could make a strong case that for about 20 years, this West Coast Center of Conservative Judaism was considered to be the shining example of what the movement believed it was becoming. 
But in spite of the investment in new facilities and buildings and the hiring of more faculty, in spite of offering many fine Jewish programs, both religious and cultural, the hollowing out of the conservative movement essentially undermined the foundation of the whole place. And now, after, oh, I don't know, 40 years or so up on Mulholland Drive on that fabulous piece of real estate just across the freeway from the Getty Museum, the West Coast Center of Conservative Judaism is going away for good. It's also interesting who it is being sold to. Not, as it turns out, that Swiss developer who bought it at first. No, that deal did fall through. Nope. It's being sold to the Reform Mega Synagogue and Day School next door, Stephen S. Wise, a mere 3,000 family reform temple these days. I'm personally glad that the campus will stay in Jewish hands and be used to further Jewish religious experience and knowledge. It is worth noting that the reform movement, which grew steadily while the conservative movement declined over much of those 40 years, has now also stalled in its growth. Partly, this is demographics. There were only so many conservative Jews left to abandon the movement and join reformed temples. And the latest generation of American Jews don't seem so focused on officially joining anything, to be honest. But the reform movement, for all of its own challenges, and it has many, has much greater capacity and interest in doing outreach to the many unaffiliated Jews and is so much better positioned to welcome today's American Jewry into its synagogues, schools, and camps. Look, I grew up largely in the conservative movement, at least up to high school, and most of my first positions as a cantor were in conservative temples. I am still a member of the Cantor's Assembly, the conservative cantorial organization, although I am a reform rabbi. There were many fine things about the conservative movement in its heyday. There was a level of Judaic knowledge that is hard to find in the non-Orthodox world today in America. Conservative rabbis were not always interesting speakers, I can testify to that, but they usually had real knowledge and serious training and they were good colleagues and often excellent, hard-working scholars. Conservative cantors really knew Jewish music, were often outstanding chazanim, and conservative educators could be quite extraordinary. And the books and publications produced by the conservative movement in America were often exceptionally fine. But all of that was a while back. That time has now passed. And the loss of the American Jewish University campus is emblematic of the collapse of a once great movement, now moving slowly, slowly towards complete irrelevance. People have been predicting the demise of the conservative movement for some years now. It's getting closer every day. All of which should be an important motivation for the rest of the American Jewish world. Welcoming those who aren't currently connected and committed is essential for the continued vitality of American Judaism. And that should bring all of us who work in these fields to the realization that the only way forward for American Judaism is with open arms. To play us in this morning, here's a lovely new recording from our guest, Breakout Broadway star Julie Benko and her rendition from her new album of the classic, playful Yiddish song, Tumbalalaika. 
was an amazing rendition of Tumbalalaika by our guest this morning, a shining light of the Big White Way, Broadway star Julie Benko. Meet her when we come back in a moment on Too Jewish. 
The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen. 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, conservative, and orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We are delighted to welcome to Two Jewish our guest this morning. Julie Benko is a kind of meteor, I would say, on the Broadway stage. She um, kind of jumped into the role of Fanny Bryce in the Broadway revival of Funny Girl and made a giant splash. And she has now originated the role of Ruth Stern in the new Broadway musical Harmony about the uh, comedian Harmonist, um, Barry Manilow, one of the co-creators of that. Good morning and welcome to Two Jewish. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to meet you. Well, it's really fun to have somebody who is, you know, I think going to be a huge star for a long time. A lot of times we get people that have been stars for a while. So is this all kind of new to you still? Yeah, I'm still getting used to getting recognized and all that stuff. Um, It's now been, you know, about a year and a half, I guess, since everything kind of blew up in the Broadway world. But... um, you know, it's all it's all still happening. Tell us a little bit about you know, kind of the Broadway was just coming out of COVID, really. Um, Funny Girl was uh, obviously big, successful production, um, although changed stars a little bit. How is it playing a role that Barbara Streisand created? Uh, you know, I'm probably the only. Jewish musical theater girl who grew up without knowing Funny Girl at all. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I blame my mother, uh, <laughs> as, as we all do, right? Yes, of um, course. you got to blame your mother for everything. Yeah, I, mean. I, I was obsessed with Judy Garland and Julie Andrews, and somehow Funny Girl didn't make it into the rotation for me growing up. And when I got this audition for Funny Girl, I mean, I, I saw they announced that Beanie Feldstein was and I wrote to my agent and I said, yeah, I'd love to audition to be her understudy. Sure. I, you know, sort of knew that it's an iconic role, but I literally never, I didn't know the song People before my audition. I learned it for the audition. Oh my God. I, um, I, in, when I was in grad school, we had a singing class and I was asking some friends, you know, are there any songs you can think of for me that would be good? And one of my classmates said, have you ever heard I'm the greatest star? 
And I said, no, I never have. <laughs> and so I learned it for class, you know. And I think that it was very, very freeing, actually, not to have grown up with Barbara's interpretation because it's so iconic, obviously. Yeah, of course. And, so there, and there's no way that you're ever going to be able to reproduce what she did. So the fact that I was able to approach it as an actor, you know, without that shadow, uh, I think was actually really helpful in finding my own version of, of Fanny, you know, as an actor and as a singer and, you know, not also our music director was very sort of adamant that we didn't do a lot of Barbara's uh, musical riffs, you know, that she yeah, added sure. that weren't written by Julie Stein. So that right. also helped that you're going, okay, no, I'm just going to sing the notes that Julie Stein put on the page and I'm not sort of allowed to embellish. And I think that also helped to sort of simplify the the music so that it was just what Julie Stein wrote. Um, so, but you know, now I'm actually in the middle of listening to Barbara's audiobook. <laughs> and I just finished <laughs> her, her autobiography, the, right? Yeah. And I just finished the, the, the chapter on Funny Girl on Broadway. And I have to say, like, I was, I was listening to it with tears running down my face. Oh. There were so many things that he experienced doing that show on Broadway, bringing it to Broadway that I experienced too. And I, I, I couldn't believe how parallel so many pieces of the story were for both of us. And I, I, I feel really connected to her in this, you know, sort of mystical way now. And I'm like, wow, there's only, there's only a few people on, on earth right now who, who can who experience, through, experience right. Yeah. Who went through what it was like to play Fanny Bryce on Broadway and, and to go through what that was like under the media, you know, on, under the eye of the media and all of that. So. Um, yeah, I, I actually feel really connected to Barbara. I'm, and I'm grateful that I didn't really know that much about her performance while I was preparing. Well, well there's, a, there's a freshness to what you did. Um, and I think that that would have been very difficult to achieve if you were stuck in her interpretation. Absolutely. We, we will talk much more with uh, breakout Broadway star Julie Benko, uh, in particular about creating uh, an original role on Broadway now in Harmony when we come back in a moment on To Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in northwest Tucson in the Catalina Foothills, celebrates a fabulous array of services, classes, and events this winter. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives every day to serve God with joy. Progressive congregation in northwest Tucson and the Foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services Friday night, 6.30 p.m. services and Oneg Shabbat to follow, or come on Facebook Live. Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Torah study. You can come in person or on Zoom, 10 a.m. Shabbat morning services and Torah reading and Kiddush. Also available on our Facebook page, we welcome members and guests 
Call 520-276-5675 for more information. Religious school is available for school-aged children and grandchildren. Join us in our fabulous Hebrew school, bar and bat mitzvah programs, Torah Tykes experience, confirmation, and teen programs, all in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org to sign up. Our Facebook page, Beit Simcha Tucson, has all of our services. All of our Adult Education Academy classes are available live and on Zoom. Go to Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org. For more information about Beit Simcha, to come to services, religious school, Torah Tykes programs, Bar and Bat Mitzvah, Confirmation, high school programs, and rich array of Adult Education Academy courses live and on Zoom, and of course all of our services in person and Facebook, go to BeitSimchaTucson.org or call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675. BeitSimchaTucson.org. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, and the fastest-growing Jewish congregation and community in all of Southern Arizona. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, Kvetch or Kvetch, email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T-O-O JewishRadio18 at gmail. Or visit our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website, streaming us from 2JewishRadio.com or downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store as very popular Jewish podcasts, top 10 in North America, according to Moment Magazine, over 200,000 downloads on Podbean and on Spotify. Post a rating, review 2Jewish wherever you listen to us, all of those comments help. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, a kvetch or a kvel, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. That's T-O-O JewishRadio18 at gmail.com. Or visit our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website, streaming us from there, or downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store is very popular Jewish podcast, Top 10 in America, Corner Moment Magazine, over 200,000 downloads on Podbean, and now on Spotify, too. Post a rating, review 2Jewish wherever you listen to us. Those comments help. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. So um, it was New Year's not too long ago, a couple weeks, um, and you were listening to a concert. Uh, Tell us about it a little bit and why it's Jewishly relevant. Okay. It is Jewishly relevant for many reasons, but one reason is that, like the Jewish people, the Viennese are very wedded to their traditions, and they observe stuff just because we've always done it this way. So on New Year's Day, the Philharmonic gives a concert, which always ends for at least the past 50 years, if not more, with the same song, which is called the Radetzky March, which is a song composed by Strauss. Um, and it's a very familiar tune. If I could sing, I would sing it, and you, you and your listeners would recognize it. But since you know, I we, can't we can sing. play it separately. No problem. Okay. Um, but it's based on a book by a man named Joseph Roth, who was one of the great unsung heroes 
of Jewish literature in the 20th century. W- wonderful writer. Love his short stories his and his novels. Really a great writer. Yeah. So the Radetzky March is pretty historical, and it's kind of um, an ode to the end of the Austro-Hungarian Empire um, and how and why the Austro-Hungarian Empire fell apart during World War One and disappeared after World War One. It was divided into many different countries including what are today Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Austria, Croatia, Slovenia, Hungary, Serbia, on and on. It's et a long cetera, list. Et cetera, right. No, Serbia was not. Oh, sorry. No. There's a, an autonomous region of Serbia called the Vojvodina, which is north of a certain river. And there is a majority Hungarian-speaking population there. And that was part of Austro-Hungary. Okay. So actually, if you go from Vienna just across a bridge to a little town called Zemun, Zemun was the southeast frontier post of the Austrian, Austro-Hungarian Empire. So you can go to Viennese cafes, and there's a whole different feeling. I mean, Belgrade still feels Turkish, which it was for like 500 years. Right. And Zemun still feels Austrian, which it was for at least as long. Anyway, the the fact that the Austrians in general and the Viennese in particular are so traditional that they always end this annual New Year's concert with the same piece, which is based on a book by a great Jewish author. And I think one of the reasons Joseph Roth is not so well known in the United States is, first of all, he wrote in German. So you have to read a translation Translations are never as good as the original. But second of all, when he saw the Nazis coming and had a foreboding as to what they would do, he imposed exile on himself and moved from Vienna to Amsterdam. And then as he saw all his forebodings coming true, he eventually committed suicide. And we generally, as a people, don't like to lionize people who take their own lives. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I think of Walter Benjamin. There were some other great intellectuals who were fleeing the Nazis who realized it was going to be disastrous and then killed themselves. Um, And even after the war, uh, some survivors like Paul Ceylon, um, you know, really amazing figures in world literature who we forget. And I think that's part of it, just the challenge of Letting of people taking their own lives in these terrible circumstances, understandable, but not somehow Jewishly acceptable. Right. I think the other thing that may have contributed to Joseph Roth's suicide was he was pretty far left wing. He was called Der Goethe Roth, yeah. the Red Roth. The Red Roth. Yeah. Okay. And he his sympathies in the early part of the 20th centuries were with communism and the communist revolution in the USSR. And when he saw what became of that, and how it degenerated into a gulag state, that was also a major cause for his depression. Well, um, you know, they say that great writing really comes out of um, depression most of the time. Well, it's like <laughs> pearls come out of an irritation in the oyster. There's yeah. some, some little stone or pebble or sand gets in, and, and irritates the oyster, and it creates a pearl. And, and diamonds come out of enormous pressure on, right. on coal. Tom, thanks. We will talk next week. I look forward to it. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week. Jewish humor, Bobby and Zadie New, brought to you by Too Jewish as a public service. 
A man goes to his rabbi and says, Rabbi, I have this strange desire. I wish to live forever. What can I do? The rabbi says, go and get married. The guy says, and then will I live forever? And the rabbi answers, no, but the desire will disappear. That was the old Jewish joke of the week, special feature of two Jewish just for you. You should live and be well. And now a word of Torah. This week, our people finally gets out of Egypt. (laughs) Or to be more accurate, we chant the Torah portion of Bo, which includes the description of the actual exodus from Egyptian slavery and the establishment of the rites and rituals of the observance of the Passover. The buildup to this week's portion has been steady and dramatic. Plague followed plague, ten of them, of course, rising in severity as the one god overcomes the long roster of Egyptian gods and idols and frees the people of Israel from their long night of oppression and slavery. Finally, in Bo, our ancestors become a free people. Since we are now liberated, you might expect us to immediately cast off the memory of oppression and enslavement and move on to new and better things to reject our history of degradation. But oddly, God, through Moses, commands us to do quite the opposite, to remember the slavery, how we were freed only by God's great acts. And from this point on, we're reminded repeatedly in the Torah to remember those in our own society who are oppressed, to help them. Because after all, we ourselves were slaves in the land of Egypt. You were strangers in a strange land, The Torah tells us repeatedly, Therefore, recalling our degradation, we are obligated to help the oppressed and strangers wherever we live, in every land. You know, I can think of no other people or nation that spends so much effort remembering how humble its origins are. Unlike so many other national myths, we Jews do not highlight our ancient and sacred pedigree or our divine origin. Instead, we remind ourselves again and again that we are descended from slaves who had nothing to call their own. Even on holidays that have nothing to do with the Exodus or the story of freedom, we include the remembrance of our slavery and liberation. Every kiddish over wine on every single Shabbat, every Sabbath, includes the phrase that we are celebrating Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim, recalling the exodus from Egyptian slavery. That message is so powerful. We are to recall the fact of our own oppression so that we will identify with those in our own world who need our help. The Sedra, this Torah portion of Bo, teaches us that we must seek always to redeem the world through our own actions. Our connection is with the lowly. Our efforts to heal the world come from the knowledge that we ourselves have come from exactly that background. It's a profound lesson in humility that leads directly to charity, tzedakah, and the promulgation of righteousness, tzedek, in the world, even in challenging times, perhaps especially in these challenging times, we must remember those who are oppressed, who have less than we. And no matter how much we rise in the world, no matter how influential or powerful our people might become, or how strong our Jewish nation may be, we must always identify with those who have less, 
and need our help. When we return in a moment on To Jewish, our guest, Julie Benko, tells us what it was like playing the iconic role of Fanny Bryce on Broadway and how the new musical Harmony connects her with Judaism and with her own remarkable talent. Find out when she comes back in a moment here on Too Jewish. We continue with our Too Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary. Nine Israeli soldiers were killed in just one day last week, including six in one incident during the war in Gaza. Israel announced a new phase of that war that officials say will be more targeted than the campaign has been so far. That announcement came as Secretary of State Antony Blinken arrived in Israel for the fourth time since October 7th, when Hamas brutally attacked and initiated this war by invading Israel. Blinken's aims include pressing Israel to limit additional civilian casualties in Gaza and to dial down tensions on the northern border where Israel and Hezbollah in Lebanon have been trading shots, well, fire of all kinds, and the risk of a wider war may be growing. A Hezbollah drone reportedly reached an IDF base in Sfat last week, while Israel reportedly killed three Hezbollah terrorists inside Lebanon. There were also casualties reported after a strike at the funeral of a slain Hezbollah commander, whom an Israeli minister said Israel killed. Another senior Hezbollah commander was killed last week also. The nine deaths in one day last Monday marked one of the deadliest days for Israeli troops since the ground invasion of Gaza began. Israeli explosives meant to demolish a Hamas underground installation as part of their giant tunnel network detonated unintentionally. The explosion killed six members of an elite reserves brigade. Among the other soldiers seriously wounded was Idana Mehdi, a popular singer and actor whose credits include the TV hit show Fauda. Ahmedi is recovering from his injuries, according to Avi Sakharov, creator of Fauda, the TV series about Israeli soldiers battling Palestinian terrorists. The latest casualties bring the military death toll in Gaza to 185, in addition to the hundreds of soldiers killed during Hamas's horrifying attack on October 7th, when 1,200 Israelis were murdered. More than 130 Israelis are still estimated to remain hostages in Gaza. Israeli officials signal that some are held close to Yahya Sinwar, Hamas's chief in the territory. In New York, police arrested 12 people at the Chabad Lubavitch Movement's world headquarters in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Chaos broke out during a dispute over a tunnel into the building, which, according to a Chabad spokesperson, was opened by Chabad extremists seeking unauthorized access to parts of the building. The fracas broke out when a cement truck was brought in to repair the building's walls and seal off the tunnel, whose purpose and size are not entirely clear, but it was likely dug in order to expand the facility. No injuries were reported, according to the NYPD. The incident occurred in the busy synagogue adjoining the Hasidic movement's headquarters at 770 Eastern Parkway, office of the late Chabad leader, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. The building was previously home of Schneerson's father-in-law and predecessor, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. It has become a symbol of the movement and its worldwide network of shlichim. Footage from the scene showed chaos in the interior of the Chabad synagogue. Video online showed a small group of young men inside a hole that appeared to lead to a cavernous space. Police kept crowds of others away. 
Videos also showed young people, well, young men, tearing wooden panels off of walls, arguing with police, getting handcuffed and being removed. The arrested individuals are in custody. Charges are pending. The building has been closed for a structural safety review. Efforts to repair the walls were disrupted by the extremists who broke through the wall to the synagogue, vandalizing the sanctuary in an effort to preserve their unauthorized access, the spokesperson Seligson said. This is obviously deeply distressing to the Lubavitch movement, the Jewish community worldwide. In an official statement from Chabad Lubavitch, Rabbi Yehuda Krinsky said the community was pained by the vandalism of a group of young agitators who damaged the synagogue below Chabad headquarters. And in France, the youngest prime minister in its history was appointed last week, Gabriel Attal, whose late father was Jewish. Attal's mother raised him in her Russian Orthodox Christian faith, but his father, film producer Yves Attal, was Jewish, born in Paris to Tunisian Jewish and European Jewish parents. My father said to me, perhaps you're Orthodox, but you'll feel Jewish all your life, mainly because you'll suffer anti-Semitism from your name, Atal said. Atal is a common North African Jewish name, recognized as such in France, where there are large populations of Tunisian and Algerian Jews. Atal said last year he is not a stranger to transcendence and still celebrates Orthodox Easter, but no longer considers himself a religious believer in part because his father, who had relatives deported during the Holocaust, told him, God died at Auschwitz. And that's the news of Jews around the world. We welcome back to Two Jewish. Our guest this morning, Julie Benko, is um, suddenly become a very big deal on Broadway. She had a breakout of... fulfilling the role of Fanny Bryce in the Broadway revival of Funny Girl in 2022 and originated the role of Ruth Stern in the newish Broadway musical Harmony. Um, I, I should note that uh, your your big breakout role when you were 14 was being a huddle and fiddler on the roof, right? Yes, and, that's the one that started at, it all at the JCC. At the JCC. Could, could that be a more Jewish beginning, really? No, uh, no. Well, and, and not only that, but my dad... And my mom and my sister were all in that production. And my uncle, who's a rabbi, was the consultant who helped make the wedding uh, Jewish. correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I need to know who your uncle is because I know a lot of rabbis. But uh, Oh, yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's in Southbury, Connecticut okay. at, at Temple Israel. Okay. All right. Um, tell us... Um, Tell us a little bit about the creation of Harmony, because it's uh, a very interesting show and uh, I think really an important one. Well, Harmony has been percolating for 30 years, um, which is (laughs) amazing. Um, And it's finally landed on Broadway. And um, this iteration of the show, which is the which is the first one that has one of the main characters split into an older role and a, a younger role. Rabbi. His name is Rabbi. Uh, this version right. of the show premiered off Broadway last season at the National Yiddish Folk Bina Theater at the Jewish Museum downtown in New York City. Uh, it was off Broadway last year. I wasn't in it because I was in Funny Girl. But, um, when they were bringing it to Broadway, you know, they invited me to come in and audition. And I was, it, the show follows the comedian harmonists who were a real, singing group in Germany in the 1920s and 30s and they were world right. famous they you know they played Carnegie Hall they were they were they were a big deal or you know since it's a Jewish show I'd say maybe a big deal and uh they 
No, they 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 were they were international stars. There's a there's a really good film about them actually that came out some years back. Yep. And they were basically you know active in the 20s and 30s, and half of them were Jewish and half of them were Gentile. And the the show follows what happens to them, their rise, but then what happens to them when the Nazis come to power in the 1930s. And basically because there were songs written by Jews, because there were Jewish performers, they were uh, stamped out and forgotten ultimately after having done like many films and been, you know, and, and huge recording artists. And so they've largely been forgotten outside of Germany. And this is their story. And I play the Jewish wife of one of the non-Jewish members of the group. And so we're sort of showing what a mixed marriage looked like in that time. And, and in our particular relationship, you know, the way that, that the pressures on, on, an interfaith marriage in this time could really drive people apart. You're the only female lead in this show, right? Uh, no, there's also Sierra Boggess. Oh, who, that's right. okay. uh, she played the little mermaid in the little mermaid and she was a Christine and Phantom for a long time. She plays the non-Jewish wife of one of the Jewish members of the group. Huh. And our, our relationships are juxtaposed. Um, so Sierra and I have a very beautiful duet called where you go that uh, is, is a sort of big moment in Act Two, and it's, it's certainly my favorite moment of the show to get to sing that with her. Um, I, you know, and I have to say, I haven't, living in Tucson, I haven't been able to see this show yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, th- you've released a new album. Um, now, there is a lot of songs on there that are not Jewish. Uh, <laughs> tell us about your new album. The new album is it's an EP of four songs, and it's called Christmas With You. Which you're right doesn't sound very Jewish. No, no, really, it doesn't. I'm afraid. <laughs> but uh, actually, all of the songs are written by Jewish composers, um, including me. I'm one of them. Oh. Um, but I, I wrote this song called "I Never Had a Christmas with You," which is the title track about my first Christmas with my husband, who is he. His mom is Jewish, and his dad was raised Catholic, so he celebrated everything. And so it was about having our first. Christmas together once I joined his family. And uh, uh, then uh, the other songs, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, um, of course, you know, classic from Meet Me in St. Louis, which I, I've already mentioned of the Big Judy Garland devotee from you a young did. age. Yep. And um, The Man with the Bag, which is a sort of jazzy Christmas tune. And that's the one that's been sort of the runaway hit off the record. People keep telling me that they are shopping in Target and they hear it playing or <laughs> the loudspeaker. Um, and then, uh, of course, the, the most Jewish of the song is Tumbalalaika, yep. which I sing in Yiddish and also did a, a an English translation, so I sing the verses in English as well. Um, I've been studying Yiddish on Duolingo, and I wanted to put it to <laughs> use. And um, I really love the song Tumbalalaika. I, it's so catchy, and... And, you know, I also feel with Tumbalalaika, I've had this experience that's actually very similar to the song People in Funny Girl, where whenever I sing the song People, everybody says to me, you know, they would write to me, oh, my God, my mother used to sing this to me growing up. You know, you, you made her come alive again, that kind of thing. It means a lot, that song, People from Funny Girl to people. And it's the same with Tumbalalaika. People say, 
oh, my God, my grandmother used to sing this to me. Thank you for bringing back these wonderful memories of my childhood. I uh, love getting to hear that people, you know, are moved by the song. Well, you know, if you keep studying uh, Yiddish on Duolingo, maybe like Mandy Batinkin, you can release a Yiddish album like his Mama Lushen. I'm, I'm just, Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I can get Mandy to sing with me in Yiddish. You never know. <laughs> he's going to be on the show uh, in about a month or so because he's oh, going to be here for me? I will ask him for you, Julie. Absolutely. <laughs> you can be our matchmaker. <laughs> it'll be a shidduch based in Yiddish. So it's a great idea. Um, I, you know, you're an overnight sensation, but that doesn't mean you haven't been doing this for a while. Um, you know, it, the life of a Broadway performer is not an easy one unless you finally hit it big. Um, and even then, it's what, eight shows a week or something. Tell us a little bit about um, The Climb. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been uh, working in this field for, you know, professionally for 15 years, mostly as an understudy, and it's... Um, so now to, to get to be creating my own roles and, and be this sort of member of the community that people look up to is really special. I do think, you know, the Broadway world is bouncing back from COVID, but it's still not there yet. And I think it's quite hard for any new musicals these days that are not really based on a movie that people know or that don't have yeah, some kind of franchise or something. Yeah. yeah, it's like people people like to come and see a big celebrity or they like to just see a story that they've watched a million times on, on, a, on a movie, you know, then put on stage because there's such a big tourist audience coming to New York. Um, so it's become, I think, very difficult for little new musicals like Harmony, which are not based on a, I mean, not based on a movie. It's a true story. And right. Um, it's, I think, a lot harder for for stories like that to find their footing now than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Julie, tell us where people can go to find out more about you uh, and to get the album and that kind of thing. You can check out my website, juliebanko.com. That's um, J-U-L-I-E-B like boy, E-N like Nancy, K-O. Uh, and uh, you can sign up for my mailing list there if you want to hear, you know, where I'll be performing next. We're going to be performing at Birdland in February. We do a really fun Mardi Gras concert, and that's actually going to be streaming, so you can tune in from anywhere. Um, and we'll be going to California. My husband and I will be going to California to do some concerts out there, and you can sign up to hear, you know, what other theater projects and other projects are coming down the pipeline. And, um you can also follow me on Instagram and TikTok at B. By the way, a great TikTok presence also, which is, it's not my thing, but it is impressive, I have to say. <laughs> it's a full-time job. <laughs> it is. It's kind of like you got to do that every day, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You got to feed the algorithm, it, which it, is it, it's not a, a thing I can't believe I... I am hearing myself say. But you just said it here on Two Jewish. We have it on record. Julie, thank you so much. Can't wait to see what you do next and uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest. Get a final musical play out uh, from Julie Benko. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. 
We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Two Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week. Our guest will be Ari Harrow, former chief of staff to Bibi Netanyahu and author of the new book, My Brother's Keeper, Netanyahu, Obama, and the Year of Terror and Conflict that Changed the Middle East Forever. Don't miss Ari Harrow next week. And join us at Congregation Beit Simcha each Friday night for services in Onig Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning, too, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading and Kiddush, in person and on our Facebook page. Our play out today comes from the musical Harmony. Our guest this morning, Julie Benko, singing Where You Go. My friends, may you have a Shavua Tov, a good week, a healthy week, and a week we pray profoundly of justice and peace. Where you go, I will go. In your dreams, in the shadows, and cruel as it seems, there's nothing ending here. Where I Sponsored by two Jewish radio programs, Tucson, Arizona.